0: Welcome to Stageworthy, a podcast about Canadian theatre and the people who make it. Hosted by me, Phil Rickaby. This is episode 303 of Stageworthy, and I'm trying out a new opening. Yeah, I've been using the same opening and format for the last five years, so I thought that passing the 300-episode mark was as good a time as any for a change. Let me know what you think. You know, for the last year, I've been working with audio, and not just with podcasts. You might remember my audio drama from last Christmas, St. Nick and the Big F*** Up. I've been working on a new one for this year's holiday season, so audio has been on my mind. So it was pretty serendipitous when I had the chance to talk to Debushi, Sinha and Mev Beattie about Necessary Angels' striking audio drama, The Great Fire. Deb is a sound designer and educator whose passion for sound design has led him to projects from St. John's, Newfoundland to Berlin, Germany. And Mev is a critically acclaimed actor, writer, and voiceover artist, and a Toronto Theatre Critics Award winner, three time Dora Award winner, and 12 time Dora nominee in both performance and writing. Here's our conversation. As somebody who's created an audio drama, I'm and I, who works in the audio sphere as far as like this podcast goes. There's something about the audio medium and working in audio. I heard somebody say, and I fully agree that it's one of the most visual mediums Mm, mm. that with audio, you can paint a picture directly in somebody's brain in a way that you can't with film or television or other art forms. As far as painting a picture goes or, or just the audio medium in general, what's drawn each of you to this particular project?
1: Hmm. Well, I can say from a text-based point of view that um, one thing that Alan believes and that I believe too is that text work, heightened text work or poetic text work is physical theater. It's very body uh, centered. And um, sometimes we separate those in our artistic spheres. We think there's like physical movement based stuff and then there's heady text based stuff. And I think Mm -hmm. all theater artists working now know that those, those separations are fictional, but Mm. I think that the image, the, Mm, the pursuit of putting the image in someone's mind is definitely where classical training or, you know, my uh, experience with Shakespeare has both helped me and hindered me because that's exactly the goal—exactly mm. to paint the picture, to um, to have them see it unfold, and it will be absolutely personal. Yes, uh, It always will be. It, w- it will be in a theater, even though we're all in a collective space together, someone telling a story, you're going to have your own picture, as you know. But in audio, it's so personal. So mm-hmm. it's been a fantastic, That's that's been the crux of the biscuit, as they mm-hmm. say, uh, <laughs> in trying to figure out how to approach each image mm-hmm. and paint the pictures in a way that offer them as a very personal experience to each set of ears as opposed to uh, making them incredibly personal for me. And that's Mm. been, I think, the really fun spectrum of challenge. And what I love about working with Alan and what I love about um, getting to work on a a passion project like these Mm. is that you just make so many mistakes (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you can take a lot of risks. And so we, we did, I would say, uh, an entire recording of the whole piece. Mm. And that's not the one that we're offering. We went mm. back to the drawing board and we, and we started again because exactly of what you're saying. Because because it was painted too, those images were painted too much for my point of view and not enough for uh, uh, trying to find this sort of magical place to, to make space for the very personal image that each listener will bring. Um, yeah, so I don't so then I know I know Deb got to hear a lot of what we did in the old take and then heard the new one. So I was so excited to know what that was like for you, Deb, mm-hmm. in terms of what we're saying.
2: yeah, uh the the thing I always tell my students is that of all of all the designers, and maybe almost anybody who makes theater, as sound the people who work with sound we actually have the easiest time in terms of making an impact you know the sound is is connected to our primitive brain it's we've all been experiencing sound mm-hmm. from before we were born right we were swimming in it it was just just part of our dna it's it's part of the cells that make up our body and our brain so you know, uh, I always tell them we have to use our power for good rather than evil. And uh, there's a place for of course sound that leads, like, you know, the Marvel cinematic universe of mm-hmm. the browsing music and all that. There's you know, it's it's fun and, and whatnot. But you know, when you're working on a piece such as this, it's uh it's a it's a, a beautiful invitation. I I'm very I'm really into cutting my sound Mm. kind of well-known for always like arguing with directors to cut sound cues (laughs) because, um, I, uh, the, the thing I always think about is what are we not hearing? And in Mm. audio dramas, I think, you know, there's a, uh, there's a convention to, you know, really, like you were saying, paint the picture to give the person the picture that you want. And I, I think we, uh, you know in my discussions with Alan and finding the way that mev would explore her character and offer her character and the images that uh, her character speaks of we really wanted to make sure that we had that space that mev was speaking of about allowing the the listener to to lean forward rather than lean back mm-hmm. and and to also play with expectations too I mean um, the the beginning the beginning of the sound piece, I think, is a kind of, you know, not overtly so, but certainly uh, subliminally offering a very conventional experience. Mm-hmm. And um, we pull the rug out from underneath that f- fairly quickly, I think, just like unexpected, offering unexpected design mm-hmm. um, to... Uh, to invite the listener to um, answer the questions of what is that I'm listening mm-hmm. to, or what am I hearing, or what am I being offered. So that's mm. something that's been really fun because that's always something that um I I've been trying to focus on when we back in the days when we were on stages, mm-hmm. you know, to make space for the words and to make space for the movement of actors in space and to navigate the. Okay, now we don't have people in space together, and we don't have a stage, and we don't have actors walking across the stage, and we don't have, uh, um, you know, uh, watching a physical body utter words. So there's a there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of openness, and mm-hmm. I think uh, I spend a lot of my energy fighting against trying to fill up that openness. I think.
0: Yeah, I know what you say about about uh, how sometimes in audio drama, the, pain, the picture can be painted too specifically. I've found myself listening to some audio dramas in the past where the soundscape, the background sound is so overpowering and it just becomes too much that I'm put off by it. Mm-hmm. I find what I want is something, just, just suggest it to me. My brain will do most of the work. Just suggest the setting to me. That's yeah. all I need. Mm-hmm. I don't need every little sound to be Mm -hmm. in there because that can just be too much
2: Mm -hmm. it's very true and 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 even you know when when they are in there like i've often said you know anybody can put the sound of a door in a speaker but you have to know which kind of door (laughs) you have to put in there so you know the 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 right kind of population of a scene with sound uh while it gives specif- specificity, it also um, doesn't. Uh, I think make a fence around mm. the scene. I think it's, it's so tricky, tricky it's to to, yeah.
1: to figure out where the brain mm, when you're performing or when you're. A, I, I tend to be a bit of a dramaturgical performer, so mm. I'm often trying to think big picture as well as moment to moment, and I. You know, you want to think about what the audience experience is like, but you have to forget about that, obviously, when you're in in the process of performance or embodiment. But, but this redundancy, this question of redundancy versus clarity, is really. Um, I feel like I'm always on the pinpoint of that. Of mm. I, I tend to be an emphatic. Use user of words. I that's <laughs> me in my life. I'm like I really mean everything I'm saying, and I, you know, you have to make space. And so when I talked earlier about the classical text, that's that is a a dangerous place for me with Shakespeare because it, I just love it all. So I want to give it every single thing, <laughs> and it's just exhausting for the listener. Eventually, you you don't know. I, I think so much of stage picture is uh, great directors are about helping the audience know where to look. Mm. And so great sound design is helping you to understand where to listen and Mm -hmm. and what to, where, where to point your, what to retain. And if you lean ever so close more into that, it's just, it's too much. And the mic doesn't lie. So if I'm, if I'm doing the thing and I'm also doing the thing, and I'm also hoping that they're gonna get that I'm doing the thing. And then Deb is offering the thing on top. <laughs> it's just too much thing. <laughs> and then and then we get lost. And so yeah. and there's questions of tempo, of course, and emphasis, of course. but it's psychological too. It's like it's about, yeah, it's so just un, it's one of those processes, this one. And I, I have them in theater and in audio, but where I wish we could give, and we still might, we, we talked about dreaming about this in some way, but give the audience access to process a little bit. Because I think it's so fun mm. for an audience to understand the difference, the, the extreme difference between mm. line reading options or atmosphere sound design options mm. or, you know, and to say in the outtakes, you know, have the come right. and we hope to have a submersive experience. But I sort of secretly wish that we can get have this gift of like, just so you know, it could have been a whole other show. Like yeah, this that's... is listen to listen to five minutes of this. What if it had been like this, mm. this kind of design and this kind of performance? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily better or worse, but just that's I, I love to let audience in on like, that's what we do. That's yeah. what the storytelling is. That's the magic long career worth of training that we have <laughs> that's we're making those choices it's all choices because yeah. of course you don't want people to be thinking about that while they're listening about oh why did they how did they do this you want them to go yeah. on the ride but it's to me it's really exciting it's magic. i think
0: i think that's exciting because you use the word magic but i think to people who are not who don't do this kind of thing it is magic uh-huh. Everything but then, that happens. But it
1: actually isn't. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. To them it is. And we could show them without showing them all of the magic tricks, like we wouldn't want to reveal everything, but we could show them this fascinating thing that happens and how the choices are made. And basically, you know, how we made the salad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i've always been interested
2: in that like that that was all i was always you know when i was smaller if i rented a dvd from blockbuster or something and there was a making of or whatever that would be the yeah. first would be so <laughs> fun to watch all that and then see the result uh mm. you know see the salad a- a- it's <laughs> yeah been,
1: yeah we went was, to I- um, blindness last week. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, experience blindness, I guess, um, that the Mervishes are putting on. And uh, oh, Deb, I wanted to tell you the story too, okay. because um, we sat, I don't know, have either of you seen it? Phil, did you see it?
0: I haven't seen it yet.
1: No. Um, so you go in and you sit in the space and you sit at little tables of two and you're facing opposite directions. So you're sitting next to each other, but your faces are pointing the opposite direction. It's an audio experience with some staging elements and atmospheric. And I think so much of, of the choices mm. were fantastic. I, I enjoyed so much of it. I, I had curiosity about some some of the choices as well. But there was um it's blindness, it's it's like a you know post-apocalyptic plague mm. piece. It's eerie, it's brilliantly written, it's spooky. And I happen to know that sitting at the other end of the room, there was another audience member who had a terrible cough, oh. and she was coughing through the whole thing. But we all have headsets on, mm. and she—poor thing—she, you know, she she did actually stick out the whole show. But of course, Alan thought it was in oh, the audio good. design because he right. was facing the other oh. way, <laughs> so his experience of this telling of this plague-ridden post-apocalyptic was haunted by these seemingly bizarrely timed, erratic suffering, <laughs> human suffering coughs that happened like like background gunshots throughout the whole thing. Whereas I'm just distracted watching this poor audience member thinking, Are you gonna yeah. get water? Are you oh. gonna leave? And uh but I was also aware that Alan probably knew or didn't know. And so I was like, oh what's that like to hear uh, a cough at that uh, moment? And sure yeah. yeah <laughs> sort of fun. There's an
0: interesting thing and you mentioned wearing headphones for that show. And I think about how um, a lot of times I know uh, a lot of people when they're listening to podcasts or audio these days, they would listen with earphones in a way that when audio dramas were first being produced for the radio, that wasn't something that people were considering. It was coming out of a speaker. And so now there's this real intimacy because now when we are creating a, a piece of audio work, we are speaking directly into the earholes of our listeners mm-hmm. in a way that we hadn't in the past. Mm-hmm. And that is an incredible. That can generate incredible intimacy Mm -hmm. for the listener for the audience. It's
2: such a gift to know that that's going to be the the main uh, avenue in which people will Mm -hmm. be listening to this. It's it's allowed certainly on a technical side has allowed so many more um, possibilities Mm -hmm. in the range of choices and the dynamics of Mm -hmm. how the the audio gets built uh, and. And so, because there's such this 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 huge uh, range of uh, sound and sound picture that I can navigate with reasonable confidence that the fidelity will remain as it is in my ears, uh, that has allowed me to make so many uh, more subtle choices that that still. Um, Uh, that that maybe would have been lost in another Mm. another avenue
0: Mm.
1: that's really cool yeah Uh, yeah because you know having done having had the honor and privilege and pleasure of working with Deb in the theater it's so true you know we've we've we did a show that was in two different spaces and my god like like transferring one Uh sound design from one space to another when it's going to be shared in a public space, it's really, it's hugely different. Yeah. But yeah, the consistency and the intimacy of that is really cool. I remember really noticing when people, when iPods became a thing, mm-hmm. post Walkman, and you know, in those those couple of years where just everybody went out and got one, kind of just before nanos, but my my favorite thing was on the subway. And I, you know, people. I heard plenty of, of boomers <laughs> complaining <laughs> that, you know, no one's going to talk to each other anymore. And I'm like, have you lived in Toronto? I don't know who's <laughs> talking to each other. And what I loved was that everyone now is having such a personal experience, a mm. personal audio experience, and they can't help but show it in their face and body. Mm. So I just like felt like I was going to the gallery all the time. I wanted to know what everyone was listening to because mm-hmm. you'd have – such intimate access actually there's so so little guard left on the you know so someone's like fully listening to a love song someone's fully angry listening to something that's working something out now we know that a lot of people are listening to podcasts and it feels different because when it was just like iPods first came out it felt like it was all music and mm-hmm. just this tapestry of human personal experience on the subway car I loved that
0: I found that that Um, I think that podcasts do the same thing. I have fully wept on the subway listening to a podcast (laughs) as well as struggled not to laugh outside. I know that when I'm lost in listening to something, I know it's showing on my face. My guard is down because I'm concentrating on the thing. Mm -hmm. So I am fully expressing And sometimes if it's a comedy podcaster, there's a funny moment literally on the subway, not wanting to be that guy in the middle of the subway who laughs out loud and everybody turns to look at him. What's (laughs) wrong with that guy? But it happens.
1: It's true. I was listening to The Guilty Feminist while on a jog a couple of months ago and I realized I was laughing like an idiot while jogging <laughs> with such a private sort of stupid, like I must have looked like a happy dog, you know, when the, when the tongue is lolling out and the eyes are bright. And I was like, oh, yeah, in the yeah. in public. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm curious about the genesis of this project um I, you know a lot of a lot of productions uh you know people have made the the transition into digital media often trying to do things either either pre-recorded and delivered uh over say YouTube or something like that or zoom plays just digital theater um what went into what was the what was the plan that eventually led to this as an audio drama uh well
1: um I I can speak speak a little bit to it. I don't I don't even know what Deb knows. It's like I, you know, it's good to be transparent about the fact that I'm Alan's wife. <laughs> so not only are we <laughs> collaborators, but I also live with the director programmer. But um Roland's piece, Alan Alan and Deb and I all are huge fans and friends of Roland's work. I think I can say that, yeah, Deb. That's
2: oh nice. yeah.
1: Um and long term collaborators and big fans of his um, yeah he's just his particular gift to uh, how he speaks about what it means to be human and why we are where we are and how we got where we are is really I, I think it's pretty mad it's, it's amazing it's just amazing so um, I know that Alan loved this piece the piece is <laughs> um, like so many other artists these days. The piece was chosen far before we entered into this uh, dark time. this hard time and speaks to this time so completely. So uh, like so many uh, pieces that got programmed pre-pandemic that ended up being amazingly uh, appropriately timed. But I know that this piece had never been done as, I believe, as a monodrama, so um a lot of Roland's pieces are written on the page like long swaths of poetic text. He has a lot of line breaks mm-hmm. and not necessarily character assigned. He has a few of these pieces that he's written in this way, and um but uh, so there's been several productions, but I think all with more than one person. And so I believe the original idea was to attempt to stage it as a monodrama, which I think is beautiful because they're is deep questioning of binary in it. There's a questioning of right and wrong, lucky, unlucky, good, bad uh, in it. And so I think having that performed by one speaker is Mm. exciting Um, and just automatically massages that binary in a way that the writing is also doing. Mm. Um, But then, you know, so I think it was that, that, I think that was, I hope I'm not wrong in saying that that was the plan and Roland And David Tushingham, the um, translator, were very excited about that. And then when uh, the pandemic went the way it went, and this idea arrived of creating an audio world, Deb, you were already enlisted to Mm -hmm. create the design for the live production, right?
2: Mm -hmm, That's right. Yeah, Alan approached me a a while back. We've worked together on a number of pieces. And um, yeah, I think initially it was supposed to be to camera, In the theater center, but then with a live audience, and then the pandemic went the way it did, and then I think there was, and then Alan and I spoke about uh, different possibilities, and we thought about, uh, or somebody he, I think, suggested, you know, using a space, and maybe we'd have a surround sound system, Uh, you you know, all, all these different possibilities, but then even that became too. Problematic given mm. how the pandemic was unfolding, at least here in Toronto. So we uh, migrated to um, making a, a recorded work. I've done a number. I've been lucky enough to do a number of audio dramas over the course of the pandemic. Uh, the The thing I I wanted to really do was very explicitly mix this for headphones. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing. So there are some tools and and the the way I'm I'm mixing and placing some sounds. Uh, uh, I'm being able to take advantage of that a little bit more uh, in a more fulsome way than I have with some of the other um, uh, dramas I've done. Uh, so that was something that was really exciting, and I was excited to to wield that choice on Roland's text uh, because, yeah, I'm just such a huge fan of him as a person and, and his work
1: as well. And they, I think there was the fun of working with someone whose english is not the first language and especially a an artist is i think there was some communication at one point about talking about why with the pandemic why the choices were being made for safety but also a beautiful conversation about artistically why this would be a good fit mm. and i think roland originally misunderstood what was being pitched and he's like, Oh no, please no and then Alan was like, No, 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 it's gonna be this. It's gonna be people are gonna listen to it. And then he was like, Oh, that's so exciting. So <laughs> it was it was something got lost in translation, and then hmm. fixed again. And I think they're really enthusiastic about this. But also I think the idea is to have an option that you can experience at home, but that there will be um Curated listening events and experiences, group listening experiences, the vision of which are really uh, a beautiful coming together, safely but also atmospheric, a little bit like um, my experience of blindness last week. But it was really powerful to be listening to something mm-hmm. in a room with other people, but having yeah. that private experience. But knowing we're all breathing together and we're having the same, it was really great. So I, I'm hoping that the gods will smile and we'll be able to do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of, a lot of possibility with audio. Um mm-hmm. And I think we're sort of rediscovering it in a way yeah. during the pandemic. I think that people have been, you know, we tried to do the zoom thing for a while and that was whatever that was. I think some people are, are, are tired of that knowing that, a lot of people spend their entire days, their work days yeah. in Zoom, which makes it difficult to treat Zoom or similar things as an entertainment experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas audio is a thing that somebody can put in their ears on their jog mm-hmm. while they're doing housework, when they're on their way to work, all of those things, which, which affords a, a – a, a, a great possibility for like just these somebody having that, that personal intimate experience. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. We, we have really uh, reaped the, the, the benefit of being at this place in time technologically for sure. I mean, just Mm -hmm. culturally in the West, I think, uh, well, you know, probably virtually everywhere we've been primed to listen, to have our headphones with us and to listen to, not just music on, on those headphones. So, you know, that's been a technological development that has really uh, allowed us to uh, offer audio dramas in a really meaningful way rather than a novelty, you know? And people have been so into podcasts, so it was, it's not a big leap to have a constructed kind of uh, audio experience. Of course, there's also like this beautiful tradition of audio dramas from, you know, forever. Uh, I still listen to, um, you know, the Solitude trilogy that was done by Glenn Gould in the in mm-hmm. at CBC so many years ago. Like really brilliant radio works. And uh, you know, actually, the other day I listened to War of the Worlds again. The uh, <laughs> else, the one where everybody thought Martians were actually landing. Uh, they all ha- hold a lot of power, and you know, there's a lot of uh, new technology and new possibilities uh, uh, with fidelity that. You know we can we can call on that long history of of theater over the airwaves and and uh maybe update it and 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 bring it into into now but you know i I certainly feel very lucky that I'm living now at this time in technology because the the entire society is primed to receive what we're offering and there's very little um work that has to be done Mm. to get into people's ears and to have them receive it in a really uh, authentic way we don't have to prime them we don't have to give them a tutorial we don't have to like we don't have to do any of those things so i feel i feel pretty for it's one of the few (laughs) (laughs) thoughts of the pandemic i guess that we had it now in 2020 instead of you know even 2015 yeah you know it would have been a very different Your theater would have had to had to handle yeah. that in a, a very different way. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we've been quite fortunate, if I can say that.
1: And I think that what, what you raise about the Zoom fatigue in terms of not wanting to consume more media after working on media of that kind all day, it's also, I've been really preoccupied and curious about why some things work on Zoom theater and, don't mm. and some don't. And I think it is so much about what you said about putting images in people's minds, like how do you actually get inside their mind? And the Zoom really is really hard for that. And, you know, some have been effective. I do find from my tastes that it really helps when things are delivered right down the barrel when I actually feel like I'm making eye contact with the person Mm. on the other side of the camera, Mm. which is the opposite of what every film and television actor is ever told, like to never shoot down the barrel. So it is actually a really different thing but I also got really con- concerned for my fellow performers there in that first six month wave, because to think that performing on zoom on screen is in any way the yeah. same thing yeah. as performing to an audience is so cruel, actually, like yeah. some of the best performers we have in this country. I, 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 touched base with some of them after some of their performances and they they spoke about turning off the screen and just plummeting like Mm. into Mm -hmm. self-consciousness despair a panic attack Mm. because there's nothing coming back there's no access Mm -hmm. and to just generate by yourself is so um it's just to think that you're going to have the same result and then to, to actually undergo the lack of that result is it's very it can be really devastating and I think a lot of tremendous performers have really taken it a, a hit to their confidence like I know I, I know like yeah. in addition to the mental health struggles that we're all facing there's a very specific performer self-doubt thing mm-hmm. that's come out of the result of this whereas audio you know that's what you're signing up for, and it's different. Mm-hmm. It's storytelling. It's like reading, for those of us who have kids, like re- reading to your kid at night, and, you know, where it's, it is different. And you know that the story itself feeds back in a different way than the audience experience might or something. I don't know, I'm, but I'm, I'm curious and I'm preoccupied about what this is doing to performers, this I think and, it, and the it, it, nature of performance. Go ahead.
2: Uh, sorry, I think at the beginning there was this expectation that oh well we'll just do it on video, and there was this very little consideration of how different the medium was mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. different the experience would be on the other end. And then so and then of course you know kind of realizing that energy was not being sent like you couldn't feed off the energy of being in a room with other people, not just your fellow actors but mm-hmm. also the audience. And so there was this kind of expectation that it would just be we're doing theater, but we're just doing it online. And, and then realizing very quickly that that is absolutely not the case. And that, but you know, climbing out of that hole uh, took a lot of energy because I think people were just, you know, I was having a text, uh, a conversation with a friend of mine and it was in March of 2020. And they said, what if theater's over (laughs)
1: like
2: theater as we know it, like what if it's gone now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, And in a way, I mean, it always it's always over, right? It's constantly <laughs> renewing and reinventing reinv- itself, but like over, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so that yeah. was like this, like, okay, we have to make sure it's not over. But then, you, you know, like uh, uh, looking for a panacea that just wasn't there and then yeah, digging yeah. ourselves out of that hole took a lot, a lot of work and time and it's still happening. I think and lots of, lots
1: of great risks and lots of new ideas and new yeah. ways of, like, lots of great innovation coming as well. Yeah. I've been working with the BMO lab at the University of Toronto, exploring new, um, like, motion capture and, and uh, invisible motion triggers mm. in space. And, like, what are the new weirdo tech things that are being offered to theater? And some of those are able to use in a screen interface that just aren't in live. And mm-hmm. that's cool, mm-hmm. but it's so awesome how often we come back to the same questions—the same questions yeah, yeah. of who are you talking to, mm-hmm. what do you want them to understand, yeah. Yeah. what are we saying, mm-hmm. and do are we being redundant or are we being cl- clear? You mm-hmm. know, like how to get get it get the goods across.
2: That those questions, I think, they're at the basis of the human condition. Right? We're never going to lose them, or 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 solve them in a blanket way they'll always come down to in this moment what is the que- what is the what is the answer to the question in this moment it's never yeah. here's the answer and we can use it all the time so those you know those questions of storytelling and being in connection and those those very fundamental um uh, aspects of our humanity that are spoken to in theater and stories, they'll always be there and they'll always need to be nourished. They'll never be uh, completely nourished, which I think is great because Mm. every time we come into a situation, we can, we can, um, we can derive nourishment from that context, but it's still the same questions we're asking, right? Theater, like, you know, maybe you're surrounded by hundreds of thousands of dollars of, computer equipment at the BMO lab, but you're still asking the same questions that you okay. would ask at, you know, the past Mariah backspace. Mm-hmm. And we still have to find those answers in the text and in the staging and in the design and in the sound of, of, of the words in the, in the space, those, those questions always have to be addressed. And, you know, I think, I think maybe part of the initial, rush to move to zoom and to and to just like try and solve the problem of the pandemic in theater was okay this can do the thing and then realizing like oh it can kind of do the thing but we're not answering those questions that we need to answer when we have a collective
0: experience yeah that i think of watching what trying to like watching zoom productions and things like that and watching sort of that that involuntary reaction of there should be a laugh here, but I'm not getting anything and those kinds of things. It's it's so, you know, you could see it as, as, as an actor, you could see an actor the just, even if it's imperceptible, that moment when they're there, like Mm -hmm. I get nothing and they're working hard. Um, Zoom, you know, we're sort of pushing a technology that was never intended to do what we're asking it to do. Mm -hmm. And which is why it's been imperfect. And there've been some other things that are, slightly less imperfect for that, but there's been nothing that's like perfect for theater. But I have been so impressed with the risks that people are taking. Like you said, Mev and all of these people who I swear two years ago, if I'd said, why don't you try doing that in a, in a digital production, they Mm -hmm. would have said, I could never do anything on a computer. (laughs) (laughs) And then they innovated. They were like, "Well, this is what I'm going to do because I need I I have this drive to perform," and so they they figured it out. They figured mm-hmm. out how to work their their webcam, how to work their computer, how to work Zoom, and all of these things, and and have produced some pretty interesting things. And I think that's that's wonderful and speaks to the resiliency of of theater artists. Oh, mm-hmm. for sure, for sure.
2: And there have been some great uh, Zoom. I've had some great Zoom experiences that you know fully embraced what was going. I actually uh, my. Uh, she's not really my niece, but she's kind of like my niece, you know, like very close friend of the family. And she's in a, a university theater uh, program. And I saw all her shows this year. And I tell you, the young people. Oh, my gosh. They're yes. good at this. Yeah. I had such a good time at those things because they were like, it's a Zoom thing this is how we're going to do it for yeah. end. stage management is on discord. You know, we're running the thing. Somebody's firing, uh, you know, firing OSC commands to, to zoom through Q like I, yeah. they were all over it. And it wasn't, of course, it wasn't the same thing as being in the theater with them, but they were like, okay, these are the shortcomings. How do we get around it? Here are our answers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe the answers were not always correct or for me anyway, but, uh, you know I had a tremendous amount of fun at all those shows.
1: I completely agree. most of the stuff I've seen coming out of arts high schools or yeah. or theater schools are like a cool new thing <laughs> <Even> <laughs> I, I feel so old even saying a really cool new thing but uh, but yeah, like this sort of hybrid new genre that I was like, mm. this is I would not I would not have, thought of Mm. at least 75% of this, like of how to Mm -hmm. play with the screen of how to make me feel like I'm actually having an experience that I'm not having. Make Mm -hmm. me feel like I'm navigating my own laptop, even though you're doing it for me, making me feel almost like a VR uh, sort of vibe because you're, you're doing it so masterfully and you're 18. Yeah. It's
2: crazy.
0: It's fascinating because there, you know, I, I could figure it out. Mm-hmm. But i I wasn't a kid with it. Exactly. Whereas I grew up with this stuff. They've grown up with it, and yeah. th- you just tell them, "Okay, this is what it is. It's digital," and they're like, "I know how to do that. I've been doing that my whole life." And mm-hmm. it's like brilliant oh, yeah. that they can uh, produce these these innovative things in a way. Because I'm sure that when they decided they were going to go to theater school, this is not how they thought they were going to do no. theater school. Never. But they're making the best of it, and they're doing some yeah. interesting things yeah
1: yeah i do feel heartbroken for some of the young actors though that mm. i've seen who are like i can tell that you want to just yeah. be doing the thing that you always said you were going to do you just yes. want to play olivia in twelfth night in your, yeah. in your graduating <laughs> school show yeah. in a really great dress that you rented from stratford and yeah. you want to <laughs> get it and you will somehow we'll make it happen yeah, yeah. I'm kind of excited about, about what's going
0: to happen when these, these, these uh, kids who are graduating say this year are going to get together next year at fringe and be like, mm-hmm. all right, we're doing that show we wanted to do. And they, they, they have their little reunion and they, they do the thing mm-hmm. and it's amazing because they've been hungry for it for over a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's going to be a, uh, quite a, a beautiful explosion of love all
0: over mm-hmm. the place. Though, I think so. Because I I feel like, you know, that you mentioned the uh, people who who were asking, like, is theater over? Mm -hmm. And I heard people March, April, May last year who were already like, this is how it's going to be forever now. This is it. This is this is Mm -hmm. this is this. This is it. This is all there is. And I kept thinking how that's pretty pessimistic. I can't I can't get on board with this is how it is forever now we've the industry has survived uh, uh uh plagues pandemics in the past um it, theater has come back every time it's been it's been shut down mm. i had to believe if i was going to go forward in life that there was going to be that we would go we would gather in
1: theaters again mm. i just had to mm-hmm. yeah I, I i definitely had a few i mean i think there was a grieving that had to happen for a lot of people like a real it's it was a real grief and we did also lose some incredible artists um and so there was actual grieving of actual people and then there were grieving of jobs and grieving of planned productions and to have such a our industry Mm. certainly has been disproportionately (laughs) yes yeah um set to see and so I think that's it's really important to acknowledge that and to go through the all the feelings and the fear of that mm. for sure and because it's real and uh and then we can innovate and pivot but you know I had read muggle neighbors uh, who, you know, who would say, so, what you, you know, what's your pivot? What are you going to, and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, guys, how can I begin to yeah. explain to you how that's not possible? And yet, of course, <laughs> we've seen so much innovation and mm. but I do think we know that there were a lot of things that were overdue to change anyway. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. the amazing opportunity of this moment is one that I hope we don't, glide over i hope at the institutional level we don't glide over it so that we can continue to center and front artist autonomy in like Mm -hmm. agreeing how the new return will be because Mm. i don't think there's any question that we will want to gather together in person to experience live performance and storytelling forever i just think there's no question but but now you know Anne Bogart, who uh, you know, was the creator of Viewpoints, she has this great introduction in one of her books where she talks about opportunity after tremendous trauma and chaos and how there's this magic space that opens up after something terrible happens. And it's very brief. It's briefer than you think it is. Mm. And so entering into and insisting on making more space instead of hurrying mm. to a new normal yeah. Is very hard for us, but I think it's important.
0: I think that the the conversations that we've been having over the last year are the ones that that, that have been put off for a very long time.
1: That's, um
0: yeah. that there was always an excuse that we're just too busy. We're in the middle of production. We can't have that conversation. We can't make those changes because we've got to do, we've we've got to be prepared for the production. It was like this treadmill that prevented having the important conversations and making important changes. Mm -hmm. And with this, with everything stopping, if it can be said that anything good comes out of the pandemic, one of them is that we finally had the conversations Potentially, because it hasn't, you know, we're not fully open yet, but there were promises made about changes. Mm -hmm. And that gives us an opportunity when things reopen to make a more equitable and a safer space, safer spaces, better spaces and and just a better theater world
1: for us all. Mm -hmm. I think I, you know, we just have to uh, be uh, vigilant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) we have to because it's. We did. There were a lot of promises made and a lot of learning happening. And if there's one thing that I've learned from my colleagues is that it takes time. It, it always takes more time than we think to actually have meaningful, lasting change in any of these directions. And really, intersectionally, like, like really a lot. Like theater. You know, the whole six days a week, <laughs> twelve yeah. hours a day yeah. thing. Uh, you know that's not working for anybody, and no. it's especially not working for some of us. So mm-hmm. it's like th- things, things from actual work schedules to pathways to agreement to programming and who who is getting to tell those stories. It's really widespread, and so if it's going to be so wide, it has to be slow. But yeah. we just have to keep pressing our shoulders on the stone because it's got it's yeah.
0: I think that's 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 the trick is 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 the vigilance because you know a lot of a lot of organizations made some very public statements of and commitments um, last year and over the last year, yeah. um, and it's it it takes vigilance from the community to remind them now and then that you know as you're talking about opening, you said this you mm-hmm. committed to this. Mm-hmm. What are you? What's your plan forward?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I think. I think, um, one of the things that, uh, has bemused my students over the last couple of years is this, is my, um, you know, just the insistence that I, that they take breaks. Mm. Hey, everybody turn off your camera, everybody go outside. Let's see who does the most relaxing thing in this 20 minute break. (laughs) (laughs) The person who won, by the way, last year's, uh, made a plate of nachos they were nice really uh, although somebody had a nap so that was good too but you know they're, they're, they're bemused and they laugh And i'm like look this is something we you're here you're in first year you're in second year we're gonna get this in your bones you're gonna take time for yourself in the day you're gonna Ooh. walk away you're going to go feel the sun on your face because that's the world we have we should have been building a long time ago Now we have this opportunity to build it. So we have to, um, yeah, be vigilant and sow the seeds uh, as soon as we can, because, you know, if if people come out of their their schooling going, no, wait a minute. No, no, that's no, that's not. No, we're not doing that. We don't need to do that. We can get the work done, whatever. I mean, we've all been in situations where, you know, a company says we're not doing any 10 out of 12s. We're gonna, you know, a long day breaks at nine p.m. and we start at noon, you know, and the work still got done, and yeah. the work was still good, uh, so it's not that it can't be done. So yeah, just making space for that going. I, I've been, I've been checking out. I, I spent a lot of time in the Sonic Arts world, and uh, right now a big theme in visual arts and sonic arts and media art in general is this idea of refusal. So Transmediala is, is running a year-long kind of festival about refusal mm. and mm. how saying no op- opens up so many more possibilities for saying yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I just love that frame. You know, in, in saying no, we're offering a new way of saying yes. Mm. And I think that's a really important uh, frame to, to, to hold on to uh, as we as we slowly navigate our way back into our black boxes and our theater spaces and basements and, you know, warehouses and mm. factories where we're putting on our shows, you know, saying no means that we're saying yes to something else. Mm. Yeah.
1: I like that. I like the, uh, uh, yeah, the non-binary of that, <laughs> of like, <laughs> that there, you know, there are other ways just it doesn't take much to imagine other ways of doing things. It doesn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I have thought about all of these people that I I know, I I know, and I've known for years who seem to never stop. Hmm. They wake up in the morning and then they, they go to this workshop and then they work uh, their, 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 their lunchtime, uh, wait, wait, waiting job. And then they go and they do two other things before they fall asleep at like one or two in the morning because they're just Mm -hmm. like going 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 and they've never stopped and they they're always going on the weekend they're always going during the week they -hmm. never take time for themselves and all of a sudden they're forced to take time for themselves Mm -hmm. and i kind of hope that that's something that we can all get off the treadmill Mm-hmm. now and then mm-hmm. and that that in a post-pandemic world we don't feel like we have to be going constantly that occasionally we can say we can say i'm going to sit in a park for the afternoon and not do anything theater related
2: <laughs> yeah i uh-huh. think there's a there's so much uh, there's so much intersectionality around all all those kinds of possibility there's you know uh Certainly, I, you know, we've all lived that life, right? Where Mm -hmm. going to bed exhausted at two in the morning when you woke up at seven was kind of like, you know, in my 20s, it was like a victory. It's like, I'm a working artist. Yeah. But, you know, I was also wrecking my hips or whatever. (laughs) Uh, And this uh, so that kind of weird, macho, toxic thing is had to be let go because we didn't have that space to to operate in that way. So that's good. You know, the. But you know, then we also look at income precarity and mm-hmm. how the arts are funded yeah, yeah. and how people are paid, and yeah, you know, yeah. how, you know, like how uh, you know, never mind the larger society, but how how much, you know, I mean, I still get asked to do design work for free, but it's like, well, it's not. That's kind of what I do, and I can't. Yeah. Well, exposure, blah blah blah. You know, like, <laughs> oh <my laughs> like yeah. there's so many. There's so many conversations we just have to shut down and let go of, and they're all interconnected in in so many ways and tied to uh, not just a larger just theater community, but a larger and just more just society. I yeah. think. and yeah, I, I think yeah. we're the 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 lacuna of the. I mean, I hate to call it a lacuna uh, of the pandemic, but that space in which we can actually go. No, wait, we actually have to have this conversation now, or yeah. there's space for it. I think is kind of a, a, a given us the opportunity or some of us to really see the connections between just like the entire universe. Mm-hmm. And it's not just our community, but it's also the community of people who work at Amazon and the ones who have to like bake pizzas when it's, you know, 50 degrees outside because yeah. it's too hot for us to put on our ovens, you know, like all those things, they're all so interconnected. And I'm so excited that uh, in the, in the rehearsal halls, virtual and real, that I'm inhabiting. And I have to say, it's mostly driven by young people who who have Mm -hmm. been challenging me Mm -hmm. on, you know, even as a person of color, it doesn't make me an expert on income precarity or uh, even though I've had a precarious income my whole life, I knew my parents were there if I needed them. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had a support system around me. I knew that I could navigate unemployment or the welfare system if i needed to because i had computer skills and english and like all these things and so the the young people that i'm encountering are going wait a minute you're operating off of this assumption mm. and me going oh right mm. right the threat the 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 threat of the thing that i'm holding doesn't end here six feet of me it actually goes out the door and down the street and mm. over to there you know what I mean mm. it's very interesting and I think there's something
1: in the the yes uh, yes <laughs> 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 I think there's something in the piece itself that's asking this I mean the the great fire is very simple in a lot mm-hmm. of ways it's very simple it's like a fable but at its center I think is the though are those exact questions of like where does the thread from you go out the door and down the street and how Mm -hmm. and does income precarity just happen to one group of people and it just doesn't happen to Mm -hmm. another group or how did that happen or Mm -hmm. when do we when do we make those moments of division between us and them me and you and that's that's just the the very uh, haunting sort of massage of the piece. And then being Holland, it just kind of leaves you with that. It it's, been really
2: fun. It. it's been really fun for me to, because I get your performance, your edited performance. We have a great um, dialogue editor on the project, Emma, who I taught at York University, who's doing a fantastic job. And so mm-hmm. I'm really lucky. I just get the performance that... <laughs> alan and mev and emma have constructed and kind of like i've been doing theater for so long and i'm i'm horrible at reading scripts like i'm just terrible (laughs) at it i just i've accepted it i'm not good at it okay there are some words i can make some notes but i don't know what's going on till i actually hear it Mm. and so listening to you mev uh uncover those threads that we're talking about and those connections between us and them and how they pop out to me at very unexpected times. Hmm. Like there's two characters, there's two young lover lovers, uh, Marion and, and the... Martin. Martin, thank you. It's not
1: the winemaker's son, is it? Uh, one of... It doesn't matter. You have to listen Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, he's from the, I think, he's from the rich family and she's from the not as rich family, but yes.
0: Anyway,
2: so they, they, they're kind of connected, you know, through the, through the piece, but then like their connections kind of pop up at these strange times, like when I'm not expecting it. Mm -hmm. And I kind of re-remember or somebody mentions, I can't remember if it's the winemaker's son or what, but somebody mentions the winemaker and then it, it, it kind of goes, Oh, right. And he's got the son and, and they walk, well, I don't want to give any
1: spoilers.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You know, when they're together and, you know, people see them, it's all these different connections and these moments that you've seen them connected or heard them connected throughout the piece just kind of come to life and like popcorn in a weird way, Mm -hmm. uh, which is so delightful. I mean, you know, it's in in the writing and the performance and I'm constantly surprised and it's allowed me to work very instinctively, Mm. uh, which is what I do anyway. I just kind of, make some choices and hope some of them stick but it's really because there's such a strong yeah it's a fable and it has the power of a fable too i mean all his writing does it's very powerful in that way and because there's so much power in the words in the story i feel very comfortable uh working from that place inside me that fable Mm -hmm. place
1: Mm-hmm. and
2: seeing all these different things pop up here and there when you're really une- when they're very unexpected it's it's absolutely delightful i have to say
1: yeah it's it, and it was that shifting which we were talking about with the the challenge of zoom theater and the other you know it's how to shift the storytelling um like in theater i've been thinking about the these containers of storytelling lately and it feels to me that theater, the storytelling container is pointed outward. It's pointed to the audience. That's like the direction. And in film or television, it's pointed inwards. It's actually reversed. And so in audio, it's like feels like this strange like options like mm-hmm. whether you are going into my internal thoughts as i'm working out a thought that i'm having versus giving you the information and you the listener mm-hmm. and i want you to come with me and mm-hmm. those those shifts of the storytelling point uh, is has been like popcorn too because mm-hmm. Roland is doing it in his writing he's like yeah. and then always <laughs> I've got goosebumps. I just look down, um, and always there's a moment with his writing where there's just something weird, where you mm-hmm. think you know where you're going, and then there's something, some secret that he knows that mm-hmm. that offers yeah. us that that makes us drop drop the needle for a minute.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well. That Thank you so much, <laughs> both of you, for, for having this conversation with me. Thanks for spending an hour talking with me. Of course. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I'm super looking forward uh, to listening to this.
1: Thanks, Phil. That was such a – I didn't know what we were going to talk about. <laughs> and That was a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. <I> yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Stage Ready. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the podcast. You can do that by making a donation to the virtual tip jar. You'll find a link to that in the show notes, which you can find on the website or on your podcast app, or you can buy some merch such as t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and more at the online store shop.stageworthyproductions.com. All your purchases and tip jar donations go towards Stageworthy and help me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. And if you can't donate or buy from the store, please consider rating and reviewing the the show. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review right in the podcast app. And if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, you can still review the show by going to podchaser.com, searching for Stageworthy, and rating the podcast there. Thanks for listening, and thank you for your support. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all past episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my My website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy.